Did you ever get caught smack dab in the middle of a lie? Like you're just, you're, you're spinning a yarn. You're coming up with all these details to make it sound legit, you know, to make it sound like it's believable. And then the other person that you're talking to just throws it out there that they know without a doubt that you're lying. Can I plead the fifth on this one? <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think probably everyone has, right? If we're being honest, you've definitely been in, you know, even if it's just like a small little little thing yeah. that you're, you're fibbing about, certainly as a kid, yeah. It's a funny situation though, right? Because there's not really a move there. I mean, obviously you can be honest, but it's not going to be accepted as, as, okay, well, now you're telling the truth. That's okay. Because you were just caught, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have options like you could double down. You could pretend like the other person is insane. There's a lot of different ways you can go, but none of them are a clear way to get out of that situation, right? Well, I think that that depends, right? So like, I mean, if you double down, you're probably really just going to make things worse for yourself in the end, right? Like you can, as you were saying, like you can, um, like we see Marie do it, I think at, at some points, right? Like when she gets caught with like the whole thing about the tiara, I don't know what you're talking about. And then later when she like steals from the, um, the houses she goes to and they're doing the real estate and like remember the picture frame and she's yeah, still denying like she it just, yeah she <laughs> denies it right to the bitter end as far as i remember right yeah yeah i mean she's like the the, the evidence is on the floor in front of them the smashed picture frame and she's telling the real estate um agent that she's gonna be in big trouble you know so it's <laughs> it's yeah i people but to your point i think people react to that situation um differently depending on who they are you can double down you can try to gaslight the other person know you're crazy you know um i i would like to think that most of us though would own up to it or you know maybe depending on like the context of the lie right like uh yeah i, I don't know I, I a lot of it is is contextual it's situational yeah the only thing you can do is is you can tell is you can own up to it it's kind of the last thing that you would want to do in that situation because i think that when i think about walt on the phone with skylar there i mean he's just caught he's just like a deer in headlights you know there's there's there, like it's just blatantly he's lying and there's nothing that he can do to uh change that and then you know when i think about that i think about how a lot of times when we're lying we're lying to ourselves and when you're doing that, you're, you're already, you're already sure that you're lying. Right. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to go on to this, into this place to where you, you do it so much that it becomes your reality. And then it's kind of weird there because you just don't have that same path back anymore because it's just you and the lie and the lie becomes real. To your point, Pete, I think, Walt becomes really, really good at deluding himself and lying to himself. And he, in terms of like effective lies and ineffective lies, the most effective lie that he is able to ever tell is the one he tells himself about like who he is and what's actually motivating him and what's driving him. after school trust me I was there might have even helped bring you up you and your extended warranty on the crib wow. 
the small world. And it is. The paths we take, huh? Hello, this is Growth Decay Transformation, our Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Courtney. And we're joined by our producer, Talitha Barco. Today, we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 3, and the bags in the river. This was directed by Adam Bernstein, who also directed Episode 2, and he directed eight episodes of the show total, which is a very significant amount. It's actually the second most for uh, something to put that against Vince Gilligan, who created the series, only directed five episodes throughout the season. So uh, he's, he's got his hands all throughout this series. The title of the episode begins with an ellipsis. Is that, that's, that is what you call those three dots, right, Courtney? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's to indicate that it's connected to the previous title and it completes the sentence uh, the cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river which uh, you know if the cat's out of the bag that means there's some kind of information out there or a secret's been revealed something to that effect and so this quote comes from the 1957 film The Sweet Smell of Success and it would mean, it, at least in that context, it meant that a situation was there and it had been taken care of. You know, the cat was out of the bag, but the bag, but it's now back in the bag and now it's, in, you know, it's in the river and uh, it's not, it's not going to be a problem anymore. Chronologically, in this episode, we get the earliest scene in the entire series when we see Walt talking to Gretchen in their college days. We saw on his plaque from when he did the research that was, you know, awarded the Nobel Prize. That was in 1985. So we know this is back sometime in the 80s before they went their separate ways. Courtney, would you like to summarize what happens in the rest of this terrific episode for us? Yeah, sure. So this episode picks up where the previous one left off with Walt and Jesse cleaning up the mess that is left behind after the hydrofluoric acid burns through the upstairs bathtub. Skyler grows concerned that uh, maybe Walt's marijuana habit is changing his personality, and she broaches the subject with Marie, who then immediately concludes that it must be Walt Jr. who is smoking marijuana. Marie asks Hank to talk to Jr., who agrees to stop by after work. And we see that Jesse is starting to smoke more and more of the product, and after a confrontation with Walt, he flees the house, leaving Walt with the task of dealing with Crazy Eight. Walt then creates a list of pros and cons of killing Crazy Eight versus letting him live. Meanwhile, Skylar has learned that Walt has been lying to her about working at the car wash, and she tells him not to come home. Crazy Eight yells for food, and when bringing him a sandwich, Walt has a coughing fit. He faints, and then he shatters the plate. When he finally comes to, he confesses to Crazy Eight that he has lung cancer, and the two have a friendly chat over beers. Right after Walt agrees to let him go, he discovers, dun-dun-dun, a shard of the broken plate is missing. A revelation that changes everything. Why, so, why, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. Or don't do this. Or why are you doing yeah. this? So, Pete, um, what, are, what were your overall impressions of this one? Well, I've been really excited to talk about this episode because this is the one where I really got hooked into the show, like was a 
was going to watch it until the end, no matter what. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as overall impressions, what I really love about this episode is that the emotional core isn't that he commits murder, but it's watching what he goes through on his journey to become the person or like to be in a place where he can do that. And they also provide some depth to Crazy Eight's character, who was introduced basically as a garden variety drug world thug. And the whole process of Walter getting to know him is a great back and forth. And it sets the stage for them to do a lot more with the way that these characters interact going forward in the series, I think. What yeah, about that, you? That conversation between Walt and Crazy Eight is one of the most important in the whole series, I think, when... Um, Walt essentially asks Crazy Eight to convince him of his humanity, and in turn, he puts the responsibility on Crazy Eight to save himself. And I think in this episode, we see the first big test when Walt is confronted with a moral dilemma, and we see the process of that interior struggle. So we've been talking a lot about process, and you just mentioned it yourself, you were talking about this this journey of how he gets to a particular place, right? Um. So if if I had to summarize my thoughts on this episode in a single sentence, it would be something is missing, which is a, a yeah. line from the episode. And there is the physical object that is missing, the shard of the broken plate, which, of course, is the revelation that forces Walt to commit murder. But something else is missing. So last week, when I asked you what was the most you ever lost in a coin toss, I was you know borrowing the question from Anton Chigurh of No Country for Old Men. And I, I mentioned that I think in that coin flip to decide who would kill Crazy Eight versus like who had to dispose of Emilio, what Walt really lost in that moment was his soul. And at the end of this episode, the soul is the thing that Gretchen suggests is missing in the equation when they add up the individual components or elements of a human being. But, you know, I was thinking, I see another rhetorical connection in how Crazy Eight keeps telling Walt throughout this episode that he doesn't have it in him. And of course, what he means is that he doesn't have it in him to kill him, but he's proven wrong and Walt will continue to prove many people wrong over the course of the series. And I was wondering, Pete, have you ever seen Interview with the Vampire, the original film? I did, but it's not fresh in my mind. Okay, so there's a scene that that occurred to me when I was thinking about this episode, and it's right after uh, Claudia has uh, Louis, played by uh, Brad Pitt, kill a woman so that she'll have like a companion, she'll have a friend, and as the woman is like he's turning her into a vampire, and as she is laying in the other room dying, um, Claudia comes out and she has this conversation with Louis, and. He says what died in that room was not that woman. What died in that room was the last piece of him that was human. And I kind of think of that as as um, what happens in a way with Walt when at the end he ends up killing Crazy Eight. It's kind of like maybe perhaps like that last shred of, of humanity in him. Not to say that we don't see human moments with Walt later. I think we definitely do. And I don't I don't want to start you know, saying like, oh, he has no soul, he's the devil or something like that. I don't think it's it's that black and white, but I think it is a pivotal turning point for this character where he crosses a line and he can never go back beyond that point. And so what we do learn he does have in him and what this episode I think really reveals to us is an incredible capacity for violence and deception. Yeah, and, and it's smart the way that, that it all plays out here because the writers actually make the choice to let him off the hook here. 
like he he doesn't have to get all the way there because he discovers that 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 crazy eight has a weapon and he's going to as soon as he lets him go he's going to he's going to kill him and you know he that that's the right way for him to think about it i mean that's the that's a uh a fair estimation of of what's possible and we see as it plays out that that is exactly what he what he was planning on doing i mean he has his hand on it and he instantly goes to start stabbing at him when he realizes things are going the other way so that's what that's one of the things on on rewatching at this time that that got a little bit more crystal clear for me i mean it, it as things escalate we see that he becomes the type of person who doesn't need that he he he'll just do it because he feels like it's the right decision to make and he's not as concerned with um you know his his the, the humanity of of it all though the the so i i think i can't stop thinking about the uh the left side of his um pros and cons list all the different things he put down there those those things sort of just all become irrelevant as as his uh you know as this series goes on so yeah and i, I mean I, it really it pales in comparison to the the one reason why he should kill him of course is because he will kill you and your entire family and that yeah. is um a point that he keeps returning to and i was thinking um, when I saw that to to flash forward a little bit to um in the the scene in the lab when they're down there with Gus and with Gail Bedecker and um you know uh, Walt explains to Gus like if you make it between me and Jesse Gail loses every time you know so that's that's like what becomes like his his uh his his ruling uh, thought, right, is that he will always do what he has to do to protect himself. And certainly at that point, he has no qualms anymore. I think we still see him struggle a little bit in this episode. And we see that moment after he actually kills Crazy at how he drops to his knees and he's apologizing over and over and over again. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I guess when, when we get to that episode, when, when we start talking about Gale and what happens to Gale and did Walt really have any remorse or, or feelings about that? I don't know, but certainly we see that at this point he's still struggling a little bit with that and or at least debating the decisions. And so you you, you mentioned decisions and that's something else that really stood out to me in this episode um, on making decisions and all the different choices and, and questions of choice and questions of like uh, agency and what is actually directing and moving Walt. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's something that he, at this point, I still feels like he isn't making any of those, like any of his own decisions. And this is something we'll see in, um, not the next episode, but the one after it. I think it's in Grey Matter when they have that little family intervention with the talking pillow. When yeah. um, he explains that he doesn't feel like he makes any of his own choices. But of course, he is making his choices. Like, even in the last episode, when they when they decide to do the coin flip to, to divvy up the roles of who's going to do what... By not making cho a choice, right, like leaving it up to the coin, he is still that's still a decision. He's making a decision not to make yeah. a decision. Don't forget your pants. We'll be back after this short break. Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth, decay, transformation. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot about perspective and and the way he the way he sees the way he chooses to see the, his situation, you know, like we talked a lot about the way they set him up and about how he's passive. If you, do, if you become a passive 
participant in life. I mean, there is a decision there, right? I mean, it, it mm -hmm. may happen. It may not be something that you, you sit up and, and decide, okay, I'm going to be this way. But if you don't, if you're not actively trying to change that, and then you're just reacting to things as if they're happening to you and you have no way to, you know, regain control or whatever your own personal narrative is, the, the way that you, you, uh, you know, you, you think about yourself, then uh, that there is a decision there. It's a decision not to act. And um, this episode puts him into a situation where he can't, he, I mean, he, it goes on for a, quite a long time, but there's just no ending to this scenario where he doesn't have to act one way or the other. And, and so of course a, a person like him and we, when we see that and we start to understand that even better, of course, he's going to, to look outward and, and, and try to figure out why this is someone else's fault and not his. And we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, um, you start to see that coming out and he does that again here with the, I mean, we don't get a whole lot of Jesse in this episode, but the, it, it's kind of, um, there's kind of a great exchange there where he, he, he shouts at him, you know, like it's because you didn't follow my instructions. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you think back to the original, the original, you know, back and forth that they had, he didn't really, he didn't really assert why it was important or, drive the idea home he just expected jesse to listen to what he said you know because he was in in the position of authority between those two and that was a pretty big mistake it turned out and and we see them dealing with that at the beginning at the opening of this episode so um there's a, it's a lot of really it's it's really character wise it's 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 really starting to to put a lot of stuff there to make you think about you know, who this guy is and, and what is he capable of? Yeah. So I, I, it's interesting what you were just saying about like how, like he has this, this idea of like how things are going to go. And he um, is in this sort of a teacher student role with Jesse, um, you know, mentor, mentee also in a way, like a, he wants him to follow his, his directions explicitly. And then when he doesn't, of course we see what happens. Um, so it's this, uh, I, with with Walt, I think it's interesting how like he is okay giving direction, right? He's okay um, sort of delegating what Jesse should do, but when it comes to making those own choices and decisions, he really struggles. And so you already mentioned like making the pros and cons list and and things like that, like trying to think rationally or reason his way through to that decision. Um, and I really think this whole episode is really couched in choices. And um, I just rewatched it again before. Um, coming to to record this this episode, and at the very beginning of the episode, when um, when the, right after they start cleaning up stuff, and we see Walt down in the basement, and he's cleaning out uh, Crazy Eight's bucket, like he flushes his waste into the toilet, and uh, Crazy like uh, turn around, you look at me, look at me, and then they have this exchange where um, he, you know he's. Uh, he tells him, like, you know, basically to let him go. And he says, I don't see what choice you really have. This is Crazy Eight talking. He says, um, it's between that, meaning let me go, or cold-blooded murder. And that's when he first says, you know, he doesn't have it in him. Um, so Crazy Eight presents that dilemma to him. I don't see what choice you really have. Like, the choice is a given. The choice is that you will let me live because you don't have this thing within you. Because you're not a killer. To do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, it becomes a, a challenge, I think, for Walt in a way. 
you know, and then at the end, though, too, when um, Walt's after they have this conversation right before he kills him, they're having this like heart to heart and they're you know talking about their lives and stuff like that. Walt starts crying like actual real tears. And he says, yeah, I don't know what to do. And Crazy Eight says, yeah, you do. So he's making the decision for him. And then Walt's like, I'll get the key. And then, of course, he goes upstairs. He finds the missing that the plate is missing the shard. And we already talked a little bit about this, but I think it's a point that we really need to to hammer home, right? Is that when he discovers that missing shard, it's not like, oh, well, now I have to do this. Or he. it's not like it's not really crystallizing in like his mind that it's, it's his you're choice. You're making me do this. Yes. Why are you making me do this? Exactly. It's still some sort of external force acting on Mm -hmm. him, you know, as opposed to him making the decision himself. Agreed. All right. Before we keep going in that direction, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is the moment where I realized that I was a super engaged, totally into it. Breaking Bad fan was watching this episode and um, I've been waiting to tell this story and and talk about it um and and we finally made it so i can remember the reason one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this is because we i watched this series so long ago that it's it's kind of hard to remember sometimes whenever i'm i'm thinking about how it hit the first time i watched it um also kind of binge through the beginning of it, you know, so there's a lot of it that just sort of blurs together, but there's one memory I do have that's crystal clear. And it is, first of all, did you tell us when you fell in love with the series was, are you, you were, you're a pilot Uh, person? Yeah, I I was pretty much hooked from, from the pilot. I think I was one, I I think we did talk a little bit about this in our introductory episode. Yeah. um, Talking about how we came to the series. So I was, uh, I came to it kind of late through Netflix and got caught up that way. Um, But yeah, it was the first episode I was hooked. Yeah. And, and, and I, I was, I was, I was super intrigued by the, the pilot. Like I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great, but I didn't really know what to make of it. I didn't know what to expect out of this character, like I, I still thought there was a pretty good chance it could be a comedy just based on the premise. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it didn't have a lot of comedic leaning in that pilot. There was some funny stuff, but it wasn't, it did. But I mean, I just didn't really know what to expect because I wasn't used to stories like this. And there were moments in, in, in the second episode too, like when the, uh, the bathtub crashes through the floor and things like that. But I do remember very distinctly in when I was watching this episode, when he comes downstairs and he passes out, he faints because he has the coughing fit. And then he wakes up and he he tells Crazy Eight that he ha- he just he just sort of just lets it out that he has lung cancer. And mm-hmm. um and I remember thinking to myself, I was like he hasn't told anyone else. Like it just, it just hit me, you know, like that I had been watching this character. I've been paying attention and he had this diagnosis in the pilot, but all of that's happened since then. I've been so wrapped up in it. I I just realized he hasn't told anyone else. This is the first person he's told. He's been carrying this thing around with him. And, you know, I just thought, Oh, well that's, that's, that's interesting. Like I'm actually really, I'm really following this character. I'm really into this. Right. 
and then later in the in the episode he doesn't say anything else there and and i and i wasn't 100 percent sure you know i just thought it felt like it was the first person he was telling and then later crazy eight asks him in their conversation he says does jesse know and he says no and he says you know his family doesn't know nobody knows he's the only person that knows about it and it just and it just validated me paying attention you know what i mean like it felt yeah. like there was it felt like there was an exchange going on between me and the people who were creating the show like they were going to anticipate how i was going to be watching and how i'd be reacting and where i would be at and they were they were they were smart enough to to you know go there with me does that make sense yeah, no, it does. And and I'm like you. I found that really surprising that this is the first person he says anything to, right? Like he doesn't tell his own family. He doesn't tell Jesse. Um, but he tells this guy that he has chained up in the basement, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I've one of the other things that really, one of the major like themes of this episode that stood out to me is this question of humanity and um, what makes us human. So there's both like the actual physical like construction of humans, like what boiled down to like our, our most like fundamental parts, our molecules, like being made of oxygen, hydrogen, you know, down to the trace minerals sorts of thing. And, and so we have that, that flashback with Gretchen and how humans are made and what makes a human. Um, Then we also get to see like the, the deconstruction of a body. And as he's like picking up parts and cleaning up the mess left behind by Emilio picks up the jawbone and stuff like that, of course, as he's remembering this conversation, but also what makes us human and, and like vis-a-vis each other, like how do we relate to each other? And I already mentioned um, that scene where Walt is downstairs talking to uh, Crazy Eight. And at first he's like not talking to him at all. He's ignoring him. He's just cleaning stuff up. Yeah. He, he's, he says, look at me. Uh, yeah, look one at time me. when he's down there. And, yeah. And, and I, I don't mean to, to derail you there, but I, I just wanted to point out too that like I mentioned earlier, the way they use him here as a person who's who's literally chained to a pole in the yeah. in the in the basement. And he sees the you know, in the beginning he sees the blood coming down through the floor, dripping on there. Like he's he, you know, he's just that's what he's doing with his time, right? He's sitting there mm-hmm. watching and just wondering what horrors await him. And um it you know, I, I really like the decision to make him kind of rational in the way that he approaches this and and he comes up with a pretty good plan when you think about it right like he yeah. he he says i you know i i can see this guy for who he is i mean he he did get a little bit of information from jesse uh that he and he goes straight to like trying to um put a wedge between those two you know what i mean and um, yeah and it, and it and it just plays into this this whole idea of like okay what's the worst thing that could happen if you tell a lie you know like it, it, what could really happen well you might have to kill someone you know yeah. and uh and that person might actually be a worthy adversary for lack of a better term like he might be someone that will make you uh make that not any easier than it already is you know yeah, and um, what I was what I was going to say, I think what you're you're touching up against again is this question of choice, right? So, mm-hmm. Crazy Eight has to make choices about how best to relate to this man who's keeping him hostage. And yeah. so, what I was saying at the beginning, right? Like he he 
he demands that Walt acknowledge him and acknowledge his yeah. humanity. And he says the line is that this is degrading, right? And so he's letting Walt know that you're dehumanizing me, right? Like this is this is inhuman. I wouldn't do this to my worst enemy. And Walt just sort of sheepishly says sorry, and then he scurries up the stairs again, like he's not ready to face that. And um and this idea that uh of how like crazy it keeps reinforcing this idea you you don't have this in you this doesn't suit you this line of work doesn't suit you it's something that he keeps drilling into Walt again and again and again like trying to convince him right and so it's a tactic right to persuade him and get him to to reason like this is you know a terrible choice and he even says you have a choice either you let me go or you you murder me it's cold-blooded murder that's not who you are and I think in this episode we very much do learn that is who Walt is. And Walt comes to learn that this is also who he is. And I think it's all the more telling that he comes to this realization after actually having this very human moment with Crazy Eight. So that conversation when they're sitting there and drinking beer and getting to know each other and, and Crazy Eight even says to Walt, like, you know, getting to know me isn't going to make this any easier. And uh, yeah, I love that line. I love the way he pulls that out in um it's funny in a way because he's doing the exact thing that he's telling Walt that he shouldn't do, you know, because he says, not that I mind it, you know, like he's, he, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of um, tipping his hat at, at the same time, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting though, because we, we see like what crazy eight is capable of, right? So he also learns yeah. that this man is dying of cancer and Walt's really sort of, you know, lays bare his soul to him. You know, he's confessing to him things he hasn't told anyone. He cries right. in front in front of him, you know, like he really makes himself very vulnerable in front of Crazy Eight. But Crazy Eight's going to kill him, you know, first opportunity he gets. He has that shard and he has it ready. And one of the things I think that is the real genius of this episode, and certainly one of the things that, that I think makes it one of the more powerful episodes in the in the first uh, season, is how it um, it shows us how these characters are grappling with these choices and these decisions. But also it puts the viewer in that position as well. What would you do? in that position. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're able to, at least I was able to both empathize a lot with Crazy 8, right? Like, who wouldn't say the things that he's saying? Who wouldn't do what he's trying to do to survive, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 strategic, but also you see him as this, this, this human being being chained up like an animal. But at the same time, you're also able to, of course, empathize with Walt's point of view where, you know, if I let this guy go, he's going to come back and kill my whole family. So it's, it's an interesting I mean, that episode. is the reality of the situation too. I mean, just to, just to like, there is no way that they can, there's no way that he can get him to, that he can let him go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he has to crazy eight will respond. He killed his cousin. Uh, he kept him locked up. I mean, there's just no, there's no ending to this where they have a conversation and, and crazy eight says, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll let it slide. Yeah. I mean, he was going to kill him, you know, the the day they met. Like we see him do desert. that, but I'm just saying like, even if, even if we hadn't seen that at the end, like, you know, just going through it, like, like Walt's, Walt's pros and cons list is actually is, is pretty, pretty on the nose there. Like he'll, he'll kill your entire family. If you let him go on the, on the, on the side of kill him, that's the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just. I just wanted to to make sure that we were on the same page of that because, um, of course, 
Walt wants to believe, hoping against you know anything else that that he could possibly find a way to uh to coexist with this guy after everything that's happened. No, of course not. And I mean, so, I mean, you could say, you could watch this episode, you can be like, Walt really didn't have a choice. And the way that even Crazy Eight lays it out to him, it's either you let me go or it's cold-blooded murder, but there is another choice, right? It's not a choice that that Walt would want or um, probably even Crazy Eight would want. And that choice is you go to the police, right? And that's, of course, that's a choice that that they're not going to consider. So, but to say that... That it was just between... It's a false binary, right? Like, it's either or. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a... There there is a kind of... There's points of no return in any any kind of criminal enterprise, I guess. You know, like, whenever... I think if if we look at at this one, it's like, if you kill someone's cousin Mm -hmm. and then then you chain them to a pole in the basement... um, there's no way that you can avoid that coming back up in a different at a different time, right? Yeah, and I I think what you just said there, there are points of no return. That's really where we are at the end of this episode. There is a line crossed, right? So he both he kills Crazy Eight, and then there's um there's an exchange right before um he actually you know chokes him to death with a bike lock as he's spinning around the pole and Walt's like, you know, so we're good, you know, you're not going to, you're not angry or whatever the line is. And crazy. Eight says, whatever, man, I just want to go home. And Walt says me too. And I thought that was a really, really poignant line, right? For a couple of reasons, because earlier in the episode, Skylar has figured out that he's been lying to him. He quit the car wash and she tells him not to come home, stay wherever you are. So he can't actually go home in terms of like going home that night, right? So like he has this other now problem that he has to contend with that he has to deal with. But also yeah. he can't go back. You can't revert, right? Like he is he is now becoming a cold-blooded murderer. So he of course he already killed Emilio, but that was self-defense, you could argue. This is intentional. Crazy it is chained to a pole, right? That is a very, yeah. very premeditated, and I think that's the distinction. This is a premeditated, pre-planned murder. Yeah, that that's the thing that I was kind of getting at there a minute ago was that the you know they do let him off the hook in the sense that they they set up that the actual the actual killing as a me or you situation right because the he has the blade he was he was certainly going to stab him as soon as the the bike lock came off like we we see that it's it's you know, he, he goes out stabbing. Um, so yeah, but I mean, the, but the, but the point of the point of why I was, was bringing that up was that even, even though that's true, it was still a situation where there's no way that both of these people walk out of there, you know, and this, and, and, and say, Hey, we're not, we're not gonna, we're gonna just pretend like that didn't happen. Yeah, no (laughs) way. (laughs) Yeah. So, so like on on the one hand, the writers let him off the hook and give it, make it so that he doesn't have to choose in the last minute. But that's kind of interesting if you think about how, as we said, he he's blaming it on him for taking mm-hmm. taking the thing. So that that gives him a little bit of cover inside of his own, like you know, looking at it morally or whatever. And then and then you also have the you know, it, it's a, it's a it's a literal it's a him or me kind of situation when it actually goes down. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. So, I mean, and I was sort of alluding to this earlier. He really puts um, the responsibility on Crazy Eight, right? So, like, he tells Crazy Eight, "Sell me," right? Like, he when he's yeah. when they're first starting to talk, it's like it's his responsibility to persuade him not to kill him, right? Like, you have to convince me not to do it. So, it's his responsibility, and if he fails, then he's going to die. But still, even at the end, you know, it's like it's it's his fault for taking the shard. He this is again, I'm speaking in terms of Walt's point of view. It really, to your point, lets him off the hook in, ter- in his in his own mind, right? Like he's not taking responsibility for this. He was left with no choice. He had to do this, and um, I think that's that's what's really driven um, home at the end there. And um, just something else I wanted to to mention that you got me thinking of Pete when you were talking about when you first brought up the idea of how like Crazy Eight's the first person he tells. He doesn't tell anyone else that he has cancer, and at the very end of this episode when he walks into the bedroom when he's back at the house and you see Skylar sitting on the bed, he tells her, you know, I have something I need to tell you. And this again, it's like a kind of like a get out of, you know, it's getting off the hook again. He's, he's using mm-hmm. information to, ex- to explain the behavior. He of course needs to tell her that he has cancer, but he, as he even tells crazy eight. And I actually believe that he is honest in that conversation with crazy eight, that it's not a conversation he's even remotely ready to have and it's yeah. not a conversation he wants to have he's doing he's only doing it as a cover right like this is why i've been acting weird and of course as soon as he tells it's manipulative in other words yeah. it's like it's, yeah. he's using that information i have cancer to excuse and explain his behavior over the past couple of days or whatever so again it's not like he's telling her because he wants to it's it's withholding and using information for his own purposes undoubtedly let me ask you this. Do you think Walt would have painted the nursery? Hmm. If he wasn't busy cooking meth and, you know, yeah, doing yeah, his yeah. side business, I think so. Yeah, it's one of the things that stood out to me on this this rewatch this time because, you know, they they're talking about it earlier. They say, "Hey, you know, I, I want what are you going to do this weekend?" And he said he wants to go up to to Los Alamos or whatever to see the 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 rover, the Mars rover photographs because he heard they were really great. But, you know, he, he says I will paint. And I think that probably he would, right? Like before he started cooking meth, I mean, he he had a second job, he was busy, but he was the kind of guy probably that would, would take care of that for his wife. Right. I think so. And certainly, I mean, we do see him like he's very handy, like when he's fixing the water heater and then he discovers there's that dry rot and, you know, goes through all that trouble. I think he definitely would. I mean, he seems like the type that, that is a fixer. Yeah. And I, I think like, you know, cause Marie brings it up here. She said, you could just have, you could just have Walt do it. And, I just think that that's another red flag, right? Like for all of this going on with Skylar and not understanding what's going on with her husband. And, you know, that's sort of on the sideline at this point. But like, I think that probably stands out to her, right? That she asked him to do this, that she's pregnant. She's up on the ladder. It might be dangerous for her at that stage in her pregnancy. And um, there she is. She's there doing it while he's somewhere else and not really not really doing a great job of covering up the fact that he's, he's doing something uh, strange. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a good point, but I think it also tells us something about Skylar's character as well. Right. So Skylar is someone that is not going to necessarily wait idly by for other people to take action. She is um, very much a, a doer as well. So she asked him to do it. So do you suppose, I don't know if we're, if we're ever like, is it, 
Do you have a sense that this is the weekend, like the weekend following uh, the events of the previous episode? Because like they were talking about Saturday, right? Like, what are you doing on Saturday? So I was wondering, like, because it seems like Marie stopped by after work, right? So she's working and she so I've, I always imagined it was like a weekday and um, Skylar is impatient waiting. Um, so it's before the weekend and she decides to start painting. Well, Walt Jr. is there, so it's not during school hours. It, you had a sense that this was all happening in a short period of time, but when she says she, she talked to Bogdan, she says that he he quit work two weeks ago. So that we know it's been a little bit of, a bit a bit of time that's passed. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I mean, this could be the weekend. It could be even further into the future than the weekends. I don't know. I get the sense though that the events of cleaning up the remains of Emilio happen immediately after the events of the previous episode right like they're not going to just leave it there um yeah i mean that that did happen pretty quickly i guess like the cook is i guess there was some time maybe in between when they actually got together to cook is 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 how that works out Um, yeah so i mean or it's or it's just like we have to accept it because it's tv and we have (laughs) tv time is different than than real time kind of thing yeah but all that i mean timeline aside right that i don't think it's terribly important uh, to your point what's important yeah. though is that she asked him to do something and he hasn't done it so she's doing it herself yeah. so i think that that does um tell us something about their relationship but whether he would have done it or not i mean because we we spent some time in that first when we were talking about the pilot about the kind of relationship that they have and how Skylar wears the pants in the family. She seems to be the one that that does things, um, gets things done, and Walt will do things when asked to do them sort of thing. I think it might be a red flag that she's up there on that ladder, like that she has to be wondering, why would he let me do this? Because this is not the Walt that I know or or whatever. And then speaking of being like out of commission and, and kind of going somewhere and being somewhere this is this is kind of an interesting jesse um episode too i mean he's not there's not a lot of him uh at the house because he he bugs out he takes off and i did want to talk a little bit about this um this confrontation they have in the bathroom Mm-hmm. Walt gets really upset and i mean for good reason here too because he you know he he just sort of told uh, Crazy Eight and and Emilio at the time like a lot of personal information, including stuff about Walt Jr., which is it's very you know like that that's definitely not something you want to do or that's not information you want to have out there when you're you're starting up a meth business, right? Yeah, it's it's a total betrayal of trust, right? You know he he confi- you know you you work with someone you expect them to to hold confidences and to find out that. Um, he knows so much about him and his and his family. Of course, he's upset. You know, the point that Crazy Eight makes that your real problem is sitting upstairs, I think is, is one that proves true and something that we see over and over and over and over again. So, yeah, there there is there's a lot to that. I mean, it does what he says does sort of prove true later um, that his problem is is Jesse in some ways. It's not the only one he has, obviously. Um, but it leads to this great confrontation, which I want to talk a little bit because it's hilarious and it and it and it does it does pair well with a uh, an episode that ends in murder, right? You know, give us a little bit of uh, a little bit of a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of something fun to watch, and and it's really physical, you know. Like these guys, yeah. the the two actors really get into it in this bathroom over this bag of uh, 
crystal meth. Yeah, yeah, it is. There is a lot of comedy in that scene, and um, Jesse has some great lines when they're downstairs um, out front, yeah. and he's getting ready to leave. You know, the coin flip is uh, sacred. sacred. So yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of comedy in that, and um, even though Jesse doesn't really play a big role, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of screen time in this episode. I think what we are shown is important, right? So we do get that comedy, that moment of levity to your point, Pete, that is so important in an otherwise pretty bleak, dark episode. But also we see that Jesse's not immune to what's going on. So we see the He pressure. does have to live there. He says that, you know, like yeah. he, he he has to live in that house. Like he owns it. Yeah, it smells <laughs> like not... a toe cheese and dry cleaning. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's it's pretty 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 awful when you think but about it. But what I was going to say though is we do see him start to use more meth, right? And we we saw it in the previous episode as well. Like he every time anything like like significant happened to him, like, you know, like trying to get his nerve up to go and get the body out, he smokes a bowl. After the confrontation with Skylar, when she shows up in his driveway, he smokes a bowl. And we see him now, after having cleaned up this horrific mess, he's upstairs getting high. So we can see that this is someone that does not cope well with, with this kind of pressure. And I think it's, um, you know, obviously it's it's foreshadowing and letting us know like what in a sense of what's to come right like how how does jesse cope with pressure he doesn't or stress right so this is of course going to become more important it, yeah. yeah it's going to become more and more important as the series progresses and they get deeper and deeper into it and more and more horrible things happen and how he responds to those kinds of uh stressors so yeah i, I think it is important what we do see of him and how he he physically flees the scene right like he as you said, can't cope. He runs away. Yeah. And um, we get a little bit of an introduction to the Marie as a shoplifter storyline. Yes, maybe we not, do. Maybe not a lot of people's favorite uh, side story, but um, you know, we'll get to that when we talk about it, but we, we are starting to see more of of the of the other characters in Walt's world and 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 I think it's it's kind of interesting the way that they show Marie here um she likes to we we get an idea that she likes to insert herself in in what's going on in other people's lives right she she gets this sense because Skylar brings up the idea of smoking pot that it must be Walt Jr because he's at that age there's no other real reason to believe that, but um, she just runs with it and calls Hank and gets him involved. So we see that, you know, that she, she has this tendency to want to kind of insert herself maybe where she doesn't, you know, where she, where she's not needed maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's, um, she's a gossip, right. <laughs> and yeah. uh, she's into like what, what we call chisme, right. Like she's into, to, to you know, everyone else's business and, and knowing things. But, um, you know, it's funny you bring up the, the shoplifting scene. Cause one of the, the great ironies of that, that scene to me, right. Is that she's calling Hank and, you know, she's, you know, telling him that, that Walter Jr. is smoking pot and you got to do something about it. So she's moralizing. Right. And the yeah. way she also reacts to Skylar when Skylar asks her the question, how horrified, well, we got to stop it. You know, is it this Lewis guy? La, la, la. You know, she's all upset about it. And just the sort of the, the total uh, cognitive dissonance of her, you know, judging other people and, you know, 
thinking in terms of like how horrible this is that that you know Walter Jr is maybe smoking marijuana meanwhile she's she's stealing right she's shoplifting so that 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 split i think is really yeah, yeah. telling about the character and um and it's even more than that because she she's she's the way that i read this scene is that this is the first time that she's really done it maybe or or she's not she's not it's not a normal thing for her yet but she justifies it by the fact that the girl in the front isn't paying attention to her yeah you know she asked her to put on the footies oh my god you know so like yeah you know you see that she's 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 kind of like walton that way too right it's somebody Mm -hmm. else is making her do this so there's a little there's a nice little parallel there yeah, and I, I don't I think that she this is a, a problem that's existed for some time because uh, when Skylar almost gets arrested as she says after the confrontation and was it called Zachary's the little store where the tiara came from when she goes to return it after the the baby shower yeah um, and she tells Hank later Skylar does about it and he's aware of it and that she's been working with someone yeah. I don't think this is the first instance i think something else must have happened previously maybe there was like a a moment where she like got almost got in tr- you know got in trouble i don't know if she ever actually got arrested i think probably Hank right. was able You're to right. interfere I, I forgot about that yeah mm-hmm. so i think it's a problem that has existed previously but again this is like marie's later on anyway like how she copes with with stress this is she what does she do she goes and pretends to be other people mm. she goes into look at open houses uh, things like that and, and shoplifts more, I guess, or not shoplifts, but steals. Right. So she's yeah. something more of like a kleptomaniac, I guess, uh-huh. um, yeah. is, is more of her issue. So yeah, it's, I think it is an important thread, right. For not just her character, but one of the things that this show does is it shows us that everyone is imperfect Everyone mm-hmm. has yeah. their, they have like, there's a duality to all of the characters. They have their, the image that they present, you know, to to some people, and then also like this this hidden inner self that um, you know, is revealed. So we see it with Hank, right? So we see this uh, the macho, you know, in charge, confident cop, and then we also see what happens when Sit he's down. dealing with. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good impersonation. Siéntate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we see, and then we see what happens to him as he starts to fall apart, deals with PTSD and of course, Walt, of course, but also Jesse, we see how he copes and Skylar. So I think it's important that we see that, that part of Marie, even if it's not a fan favorite, it is an important part. And you said something that's kind of almost like Walt. I think there are a lot of parallels between Marie and, and Walt and how they, yeah, her, they, her seems a lot lower stakes, but they're, of they're, course, they're, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> They're following the same thought pattern, you know, they're doing the, yeah. they're, they're reacting to, to what they consider to be, uh, you know, an, an untenable situation in their own ways that, that it, it, it's just kind of, it's kind of cool that it makes you think about how, how, yeah, his, you know, Waltz is an extreme case of, of escalation, but you know, it, it, it's not that hard to imagine it happening to other people as well. Yeah, yeah. Stealing a spoon is a far cry from murder, so I'm not yeah. going to compare the behavior. Well, if it broke but... a different way, she might have been killing someone to cover up that spoon too. Maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I know that was actually one thing that they talked about um, as like a possible ending. And is like Marie kills Walt. You know, uh, I I don't know how serious that that was, but I don't know. 
Yeah, that would have been something, huh? Yeah, it would have been quite a different ending. Maybe that's the ending that that Vince Gilligan originally wrote before uh, the script got stolen out of Brian Cranston's car. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that would be a a, a, a much different. It would have a, di- a much different uh, tone, I guess, would be the way to think <laughs> yeah. about that, huh? Um, the one of the things that popped out to me here, you know, in again on the, looking at it as a, as a rewatch now that better call Saul is, is complete. And it, they, they say that a couple of times in the last two episodes about crazy eight, his name, where did that come from? What does it mean? Um, so I thought that was, was interesting that they, they went back and they, they answered that question in what season five, episode two of better call Saul, mm-hmm. the card game with Lalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me think of Lalo a little bit there. And it also um, they they also explained um, how uh, how a crazy eight came to be a snitch in Better Call Saul. So that's something else that they they did in in the in the episode where um, he gets a he gets busted and the cartel sends uh, Jimmy in as his lawyer. Right, and and that is another aspect here. You know, when we the very the very last. Uh, the, Hank's last scene when they go back out to the um, to the desert and they they find his car. They find the meth after he um, he discovers the uh, hidden compartment. Yeah, the trap. And, it, and he said, "Yeah," and he says, "It looks like meth, but it's too damn white," uh, which is a pretty cool line. But they also they say they figured it out that somebody croaked their snitch and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of I I don't know I mean like it, it definitely stands out after watching Better Call Saul and they and they they talk about this more coming up in in the series but it kind of recontextualizes all of what was happening way back to the pilot too doesn't it because it's it's showing that whenever he was confronting Jesse at his place whenever Emilio just got made bail or whatever. He's covering up for himself, right? He he yeah. was the snitch. He knew mm-hmm. it, obviously, and he was he was trying to put the same way that he tried to put uh, you know doubt on Jesse's character with Walt. He's trying to do that with Emilio in his house by saying, you know, it's kind of it's kind of funny that you just happened to be next door with the neighbor whenever they got there and all that. Yeah, I mean, but Crazy Eight's the snitch, not Emilio, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm that, saying, but he was trying to make Emilio think that Jesse was, you know, he's yeah, trying to yeah, cover yeah, it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, definitely. It does recontextualize it. You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. Speaking of how watching Better Call Saul has recontextualized Breaking Bad, something that stood out to me watching this episode was um, some of like the very similar lines that we get throughout this uh, this, yeah. this episode to Better Call Saul. So um, something that that I've already we've already talked a little bit about is how Crazy Eight keeps saying to um, to Walt that this line of work, uh, you know, like this is this isn't you. This is um, you don't have it in you, Walt. And yeah. uh, that's something that um, I was reminded of in Better Call Saul when. 
uh, Suzanne Erickson, who's the um, assistant direct, uh, district attorney, is talking to Kim Wexler. And she's trying to figure out, like, if uh, Jimmy has been working for the cartel. And she says it's um, it's not a suit that fits him. Right. And so that 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 stood out to me here. Mm. So, yeah. I one of the I, you, we're going to talk about our favorite lines and, and things coming up here. And I think we're going to hit on some of this stuff. So what do you think? Like, do you want to go right into that right now? Yeah, I was thinking you could, right? Because I was thinking you could say, you know, it's funny you bring that up because my favorite line is. All right. It's funny that that you bring that up because my favorite line of this episode, you know, we do our favorite line and favorite shot at the end of of each episode. And my favorite one here is this line of work doesn't suit you, Walter. it's It's one of those things like whenever I think about it, it's it's a perfectly crafted line, right? This isn't somebody saying something off the cuff. It's just somebody who's been sitting in the basement thinking uh, a lot. That, that, that's that's really kind of what I like about this, and it's also, you know, I mean, obviously, it's apparent that that Walter is not a, you know, he, he's not the kind of guy that you usually run into in in the drug world, um, you know, but like. I think it's just it just shows like whenever I, the way that it's delivered, the way that 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 he's doing this, this character is doing this, it really makes him a lot more compelling, a lot more interesting because of the way that it comes off. Like you just you can just tell this is something that he's been he's been sitting there thinking about, like, how can he get through to him? And and this is this is just it. Like, just put out the exact most obvious thing, the, the truth. You know, this is not who you are basically. Yeah. And I, I, it's a, it is a great line. I love this line too. Cause um, again, it's like Walt trying to prove that, you know, nobody else is going to define him anymore at this point. So yeah. you're saying it's not a, a line of work that suits me that I don't have it in me, but you know, he's going to prove to everyone that he actually does. It's a great line. And I think really reveals a lot about that character. And then, and then my shot in this one would be, Walt cleaning up, like we see him through the floor. And it's that, it's that, it's that thing that this show does a lot. And I don't think we talked about it too much yet. Um, but it's like flipping the point of view from the character to this inanimate object, to the house, basically. Like the house becomes a character. It's a place where this thing happens, right? And it, it kind of gives you a sense that the whole situation is then out of their hands. You know, if you think about a standard point of view shot, a POV shot where you see, where as a viewer, you see exactly what the character's seeing, that kind of puts you in their place, right? It, it connects you with what they're experiencing and that can like heighten your whole sense of what it's like to be them in that moment. So when you turn that around, there's a disconnect, right? So it's it's great to how that lines up with the inevitable ending of the situation, like how he has to end up killing him without making the decision it just sort of it just sort of goes through like it's going to happen anyways does that do you understand what i'm saying there yeah 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 i i definitely do and it is a great show so you're speaking of like the the opening shot to the episode as he's wiping away the blood and then so we're yeah. we're looking up at him from like under obviously like a plate of glass 
and you yeah. see him, yeah, wipe it, wipe it. Yeah, that's that is great. And you mentioned a couple of things I want to respond to. So, um, one of the things I think that both series, both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, do really, really well are that object point of view. They do some really interesting things, like putting the camera on like doors that are shutting, and um, so you get a lot of really cool, innovative, uh, unique shots. And also um, this this revealing of like what is uh, left behind, right? So you see this pile of blood and like. Ugh. disintegrated body right <laughs> and so it just looks like a puddle of that and then it's wiped away yeah. to reveal walt's face so yeah. what we're seeing is like what's what's behind this mess right so i mean it's it's a not so subtle way of like this is his responsibility right from the from the outset um yeah it's it's a it's a great shot it's a great shot and again i think a lot about mirrors in this in this series and reflection. And so we talked a little bit about mirroring in the previous episode. So we have the non-superimposable mirror images of chorality and uh, Walt looking in the mirror and seeing himself. And again, this is through the looking glass in a way, right? Like quite mm -hmm. literally through the, through the looking glass. Yeah. So what about you? What was your favorite line this week? Uh, this was really hard to choose because there's some yeah, really so many great, of them in yeah, this one. And and more so than like a single line, like conversation. So what I, I kept being drawn to were the conversations that he was having with Gretchen. So we get that over the cold open. They slice together this uh, this flashback to their college days and they're talking about what makes up a human being. And then he's cleaning up the mess. And then again, at the end of the episode, after he's killed Crazy Eight and he's parked on the overpass, we get the rest of that flashback. And it was a couple lines there. So she, he says to her, after they've calculated everything, doesn't it seem like something's missing? And she that's when she says, what about the soul? And he says, the soul. And he sort of says it dismissively, right? Like, the soul, mm -hmm. what's that? And then he says, and this is, this is, if I had to say my favorite line, it's this one. There's nothing but chemistry here. And of course, that's yeah. like a flirtatious reference to yeah. the chemistry <laughs> between them. It's kind of a Mac, it's kind of a Mac line, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. He, as far as like what we see of him overall, as far as being like a, you know, a player or something like it's, it's non-existent, but right here, he really does come with something pretty, pretty slick, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great little pun, but I think it's it's interesting that he's thinking specifically about this moment. This is what he's remembering as he's scooping up Emilio's remains and right after he's killed Crazy Eight. This is what he's he's thinking of. So like the idea that this is just chemistry is um I think again speaks to um how Walt is compartmentalizing, right? This is just business. It's just chemistry. So the the bodies, right? Emilio and Crazy Eight are just the sum of their parts. It's just hydrogen, oxygen, calcium, iron, carbon, etc. And also like what he's doing is a means to an end. It's business. It's not personal. So I think that's, you know, this idea that it's nothing but chemistry is how he's rationalizing what he's doing. Yeah, that's a great that's a great um, comparison because that that is the thing, right? It's business. It's not personal. Like that is the the mantra that you have to adopt, not just in the drug game, but in in business in general, right? So, but like here, it's it's a little bit more extreme because yeah, sometimes people are going to get hurt as an explicit part of that business, and and in and in an extreme case, uh, people are going to die because can't leave any uh, witnesses behind or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as um, my favorite shot it comes towards the end. So it's right after he's discovered the missing shard of plate and um, you know, the no, no, no. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then we see him. Um, the shot is from like the bottom of the stairs looking up 
in the basement uh, to where the yeah. door opens and we just see his really silhouette. A horror, horror shot, horror movie shot almost. Yeah. So we just get this shot of his silhouette. So he's this darkened figure in the doorway and um, it's it is like a horror film, right? And then like they do some really interesting camera work um, to, of course, increase the tension. We get the close ups on his face as he moves down. But that particular shot, you know, it's coming. You know that yeah. there's like a shift there, and um, it's a descent into darkness, literally. So he's descending down into the basement, and of course, when we think of basements in horror films, right? Nothing good ever happens in a basement. So, like you no. know, that's where Clarice Starling and Silence of the Lambs encounters Buffalo Bill, right? That's where the monsters and the ghouls and so on and so forth live. But it's also like a descent into the subconscious or the shadow self, if you wanted to get like a little Jungian up in here, <laughs> right? So, like this idea of going into the darkest mm. recesses of yourself and he is right so he's literally mm. descending into a, a darkened space it's nighttime so normally in in the shots earlier in the episode there's that little window where the stairs turn and um you get the sunlight streaming in but it's complete dark you only have like the artificial overhead lighting in the in the basement so there's this descent in darkness this confrontation with the shadow self and of course, that we know the missing blood is still there. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, that from from when Emilio was was leaking through the floor. Yeah, and so that missing shard that, and I said when I was giving my impressions of this episode, if I had to to classify this episode or describe this episode in a single sentence, something's missing. It's the missing shard, but it's also the piece that is now missing in Walt when he takes Crazy Eight's life. And, and, you know, the, the whole discovery of that, the watching him go through that, it's, it's a betrayal, right? Yeah. And that's, what, that, that's the sense that he's feeling. And, and that's something that can move you to – that's an emotion that can move you to retaliate or, you know, like the like it, if you think about like how he has to get there, you know, like we're talking about that. We're talking about this piece that's missing after he's gone and, and where, you know, how he gets to the point where, where that disappears – they became friends uh, almost, right? You, you know, mm-hmm. you have that great, you have that great thing where they're talking about the, you know, they, they're singing the, uh, the jingle of the, Tampico the furniture. furniture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they really connect in a way be, over this idea that he tells him something that he can't tell anybody else, anybody who's really close to him in his life. Right. And then that when he sees that piece, it's, it, it, it's an actual betrayal at that point. This is someone that he thought he, he, he knew, he, you know, in that moment, this is someone that he was about to, to let go because he felt like crazy. He did his job, right? He made it, he made it to where he, he, he made it to where he gave him enough to, that he could just say, okay, I think this is going to work out. Right. Mm-hmm. Even even though that's ridiculous, as we've said several times in this episode, he did what he needed to do on a human level between two people to make it seem like it might be all right. Yeah, yeah. And it it's all the more interesting, though, after getting to really know him is when he decides to finally go go forward and actually kill him. And the yeah. the nature of that conversation that they have is all about family, right? So they're talking about, you know, his father and you get the sense that Crazy Eight or Domingo, his real name, he comes from a very average middle class American family trying to live the American dream. Like they have their own little store, their furniture store. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets to know about like his dreams and his hopes. He wanted to be a musician. Um, some of that tension with his father, right? It's it's uh it's so mm-hmm. it's so personal and it's such an intimate moment and this exchange 
of, of them talking. Um, I mentioned this to you uh, the other day when we were talking off camera, but it is something that I keep coming back to and this idea of like this, this confession um, before death, right? Or like last rites almost sort of thing. So this exchange, this very personal exchange right before this horrific act of, of murder happens, I think is, is really, it's so, something I'm still teasing out and, and considering. I think there's a lot more to say about it, certainly as we go forward um, mm-hmm. and, and thinking about Walt and his evolution or probably devolution is the better word, <laughs> his transformation, his decay. Yeah, so his transformation. So yeah. I just do want to say for sure that the position of this podcast is that murder is wrong. And we, we, <laughs> we say that with an exclamation point at the end of it. Yeah, as as we see on his list that he's making as he's sitting on a toilet. And one other thing we haven't talked about is like how how prominently the toilet figures in this episode. Right. And like yeah. the series in general. So but yes, he's um he's on the toilet as he's making this list. And I, I wanted to just go over like the points that he makes on his reasons to let Crazy Eight live. So he starts yeah, off with yourself out. Yeah, he starts with off, first of all, it's the moral thing to do, right? And that's like the most rational, like, you know, like that Mm -hmm. should be the the first point. It's the right thing to do, right? Like you let him live because that's what you do. And then the next point he makes is Judeo-Christian principles. Now, I don't get the sense that Walt is particularly religious or that's something that plays a big part in his in his life or something that, you know, it's certainly never emphasized anywhere else in the the series. That's it, it jumps out at you when you look at it. Like, wait, where did that come from? Yeah, and I just wanted to to point that one out because I do feel like that is an important part of the episode in understanding this discussion of the soul and what's missing. And we've already talked a lot about like what the piece is missing, the shard, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Plate is yellow. Well, it happens to be wearing a yellow shirt that's almost the same color as the plate at that at the end of the episode when he kills um, Crazy Eight. And then of course we get the line from Gretchen, "What about the soul?" And Walt kind of laughs that line off, like the soul it's just chemistry of course he's being flirtatious but you can read into that a little bit more and then yeah but he but it's also an implication that he he doesn't believe in such uh non-scientific things right yeah yeah and that the the next point he makes on his list is you are not a murderer not you know being underlined underlined. yeah (laughs) sanctity of life he may listen to reason but of course you know i feel like he could probably scratch that one out based on the conversation he had with jesse you know in the previous episode he's like what do you think you know is he's a businessman do you think he's capable of listening to reason and um you know jesse (laughs) has that yeah try to kill us there's that yeah so there's that great comeback there um and then what I really wanted to get to, though, are like the next like three points that I think are really, really interesting in terms of like how how we're going to see Walt evolve. So he thinks he might get post-traumatic stress as a result of this. And then so he has that as a point. And then the next point is you won't be able to live with yourself. And then the last point is murder is wrong, exclamation mark. And those those other two points, the, the idea of PTSD or post-traumatic stress and then not being able to live with himself, are co- of course, are things that we learn he absolutely can live with himself right like he realizes that it's something that he's able to to get on with and he doesn't suffer from any post-traumatic stress at least i don't think he does not not, not as in the as, traditional sense yeah, yeah not in the sense where it, it incapacitates him or he can't move on he actually he actually picks up momentum as he goes right i mean the show obviously does in the way that it's 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 put together but uh, yeah i think 
if he does have something like that going on, if he, if he does have that kind of remorse or, or that, that he, he, he just redirects it in a way that is, is completely unhealthy and, and just sort of, yeah. Maybe, and maybe, maybe like shoves it down and, and, and tries to keep moving or, or, you know, whatever, something like that. Yeah. And to loop back to a point you made earlier in the podcast, Pete, when you were talking about like this idea of like, have you ever been caught in a lie? sometimes people double down, right? And I think in this case, Mm -hmm. he is doubling down, right? So it's like, I've already gone this far, I'm going to go further. And, um, you know, so that that might be how he copes with it. It's like, it doesn't really matter beyond this point, or you you learn that you can live with yourself. And again, there is a rationality to that, right? I mean, there's, it's, it's not necessarily correct, but there's, it's rational in a way. If, yeah. if you've already done, if you're already going to go to prison for life anyways, or you're already going to die from cancer, why not? Yeah. And this idea that you won't be able to live with yourself, I think is one that is explored um, throughout the series and how different characters are faced with, with um, the stress, yeah. right? So we certainly see like what happens with Jesse when he has to kill Gail, but also that's a line that's picked up again quite often in Better Call Saul. So we see there's a really great exchange between Mike and Jimmy, like, how can you live with yourself? How do you keep going on? Do you remember that when they're they're talking yeah. in the car? And then um, Jimmy tries to parrot that conversation back to Kim later. I don't, yeah. So it's, it's something yeah. that I think figures prominently in this universe, in this world. Like, how do you live with yourself? How do you continue after doing these horrible things? And I think it's a question that Vince Gilligan et al. are, are continually asking of the characters and asking us as viewers yeah. to consider. How, how do they and, and, when, and then what does that mean? And there's just one other thing that when you were talking about Better Call Saul there, one of the things that we talked about again off but when we were, we were planning this episode was the fact that that's the thing that Howard says to um, Jimmy and Kim whenever he finally calls them out for for their their uh, chicanery, right? He says, yeah. <laughs> you're missing a piece. There's yeah. something wrong with you. You're missing a piece. And I, I never thought about that connection to this episode until we were watching it this time. So I, I think that's a pretty good place to, to wrap this episode up this week. Um, yep. Something is missing. Yeah, something is definitely missing. It's an it's a thing in the uh in the world of uh Vince Gilligan created television shows, isn't it? Yes it is. So if you enjoyed this episode, we really appreciate it if you would rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. That would help us out quite a bit. Um we're trying to get going here. It's a brand new podcast, it's a new thing for us, and any help would be much appreciated. Yeah, connect with us on Twitter at BreakingBadGDT, and you can write to us at BreakingBadGDT at gmail.com. And that's GDT as in Growth Decay Transformation. And you can find uh, producer Talitha's Instagram at Talitha underscore makes underscore things. Thanks for doing this again with me, Courtney. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. And we'll talk to you guys next week.